0: To start off this morning, I have a question, and has anybody in here uh, been in love in such a way where it drove you to do something crazy? Like you just, you love somebody so much that you couldn't help, but you had to demonstrate it in kind of a crazy way, or you just couldn't sit still anymore, you kind of needed to do something about it. I don't know if that's like you, but... For me, I remember when I first met Steph, uh, I met her at North Central University, and she was working at the registrar's office, and right when I laid eyes on Steph, I was like, I need to meet her, she's beautiful, Uh, and I couldn't stop thinking about her, and I found out I had two classes with her, I had systematic theology, and I believe I had a, a spiritual formation class, and so when I found out I had two classes, I knew I needed to break the ice in kind of a way, and so I ended up meeting her because I accused her of cheating on my test because we got the same score. We both got 92%. It was a real easy way to break the ice, but then as I kind of got to know her a little bit more, I became more intrigued. I wanted just to, you know, find out more about her life. Well, I had found out that uh, her friend, her roommate in college gave her this peanut butter from Canada, this craft peanut butter, and she was talking to me how great this peanut butter was and how amazing it was, and she was so happy her friend lived in Canada and had this Canadian peanut butter because it tasted so good, and so I heard her love for peanut butter. I'm like, okay, this is interesting, and then through questions and series of like, hey, what's your favorite food or what's your favorite drink? She asked me, what's your favorite drink, and I said, my favorite drink, it's a healthy one, but it's the Green Machine Naked Juice. Anybody ever have the Naked Juice before? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm not being inappropriate. I'm just, it's a juice, okay? And so it's called Green Machine Naked Juice, and I found out, she's like, um, what's Naked Juice? I've never even heard of that, never even tried that. So I'm doing the calculation in my head, so I'm like, okay, this girl has never tried my favorite drink, and she supposedly has the best peanut butter ever. So to show her how much I'm into her and how much I really just like think she's the best and just I care about her and I love her, I said I'm gonna decide to embarrass her in a really fun way, just to kind of break the ice even more. And so it's in the middle of class, the professor's teaching, I'm not in this class, And I open up the door with a giant loaf of bread and the biggest giant green naked juice that I could buy. And the professor stops teaching the class. And he sees me just bulldoze into the door with a naked juice and a loaf of bread. And she happens to be sitting in the middle Roll, row, like the middle row, okay? And so just to get to her, I had to maneuver around people that were sitting next to her. I was like, excuse me, excuse me. I was kind of doing a dance. The bread was shaking back and forth. The juice was shaking. I'm making a scene on purpose. Steph immediately turns bright red, watching me bring this loaf of bread and watching me bring this giant green naked juice. And the professor knows I'm not in his class. The students know I'm not a student in the class. So now all eyes are on me. And I take the loaf of bread. I set it on her desk I take the juice I set it on her table and I say hey um, you can make me peanut butter sandwiches every day and here's some green naked juice so you can try because it's the best ever see ya bye and I was like see you later bye and I left and the professor she's like bright red the professor's like "Um, what was that and Steph's like I don't know (laughs) I don't know but talk about when you love somebody you do crazy things you don't let it just be a feeling right and I remember after the two years and two and a half years we dated, I wanted our proposal to be something special. I wanted it to be memorable. I wanted her to remember it. And so I remember I didn't want to propose until I got this kind of crazy, grandiose idea. And one night, late at night, the idea came to me. Literally every picture in my head. Laid out for me how I was going to do it. It was her birthday, October 16th. She was turning 21 years old. I was supposed to be out of town with Eric Samuel Tim uh, doing public school assemblies in Nebraska. And so early that morning, it's a Sunday morning, I show up to her house and uh, I, 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 I knock on the door. I go down to her room and I give her flowers and I leave a little card on her car. And I just say, hey, I'm going to miss you today. I'm headed to the airport. I'm going to go fly out. But uh, have a great birthday, and uh, we'll celebrate when I get back. Deal? She's like, cool, thanks for stopping by. That meant so much. So she thinks I leave to the airport, but what she doesn't know is I'm sitting at the Perkins parking lot in 42 off of Apple Valley watching the clock go by because I have this huge plan on how I'm going to propose. And what I decided to do is her friends were going to take her to church uh, in Bloomington, and they were all going to meet up there and go out for a night on the town for her 21st birthday. And so what she didn't know was I hired a butler, okay? And the butler I hired was a, um, a, a dude I worked with at the airlines. We threw bags on planes, okay? And so I hired him. I say, can you speak a British accent? He goes, I've uh, never done it before. I was like, try. He goes, hello. I was like, perfect, great, you're hired. <laughs> so I hired this guy because I know she'd have no idea who he is. And um, sure enough, he is dressed to the nine, looks really nice, and she gets, um, uh, her friend drives her up under the overhang at church, and there's a butler with his arm like this waiting for Steph. He opens up her door, and he goes, hello, Miss Stephanie. <laughs> and Steph looks at her friend like, who is this guy? And her friend's like, just go. And so Steph holds onto his arm. He escorts her in. Steph's like, who are you? Why are you wearing all dressed up? And right when the center doors opened up to the church, to so the main aisle, Right when the doors opened up, our favorite song in our, when, our, when we dated was a song called "You and I" by Michael Bublé. Okay, if you don't know it, it goes a little like "You and I." Okay, I'm not gonna keep singing. I'm not a singer. I'll leave that to Steph. But. It was our song, and right when the doors open up, a song sings she 's being escorted down there 's candles lit down the aisle there 's candles on the shape of a heart on the stage there 's candles in the backdrop of the sanctuary. All the lights are off what she doesn 't know is all of her family and friends are sitting up in the balcony way up high, watching this take place it 's pitch black up there and uh, right when she gets sat down in the front row, a slideshow comes on of all of our pictures from the two and a half years of dating and After the slideshow is being played, then a video comes on, and it's me, and I go, hey, Steph, uh, I wanted to say happy birthday, and I'm so sorry I couldn't be there today, but I just wanted to do something for you, and if Steph could be up here sharing her version, she would share how ticked off she was, that it wasn't a proposal, but it was just a birthday gift. Like, she's like, what is all this for? And so, uh, right when the video gets done, I come out center stage with the rose, dressed up really nice, and a spotlight shines from the rafters and hits me. And I said, "Well, the pretty young lady sitting in the front row, join me center stage." No, don't don't do it now. You can stay. It's okay. I know you want to reenact it. We can do it later at home, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and she comes up on stage. She's a blubbery mess. I'm a blubbery mess. I'm crying, and I get down one knee on one knee, and I profess my love for her. And here's the deal. In our whole dating relationship, I never told Steph the word I loved her. I would always say, I really, 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 really like you, or I like you a lot. And the reason why I wanted to save the word love for the moment I got down on one knee is because when I said the word love, I wanted it to mean something. I wanted there to be weight behind it. I didn't want it to be cheap, I didn't want it to be inexpensive. But when I got down on one knee, I wanted her to know without a shadow of a doubt that he saved that word to express in one of the biggest ways he could in a moment he'll never forget. And some of you uh, wives are sitting there and you're nudging your husband like, why didn't you do something? It's not to ridicule the husbands, okay? It's not to make you feel bad. I'm just going with the point here. Don't miss it. And the point is this. is real love. It's not cheap. And real love isn't just talk. Real love doesn't manipulate. It doesn't look to control. It doesn't look to be all about you. But real love actually does something. And the proposal that I made for Steph, it was great. It was amazing. But a proposal that God gave us runs way deeper than a proposal that could ever be for a marriage or a wedding. And it's the proposal of what God did with his one and only son to say that he didn't just love you and didn't just talk about it. But God demonstrated his love by giving away, by sacrificing, by giving the greatest proposal anyone could ever give. By giving up his one and only son, Jesus. That's a love. That's true, that's real, that's powerful. And we live in a world today that's desperately searching for a love like that. It's interesting, when I shared my proposal story, people were intrigued, people were listening. It's because we're drawn to love stories. Although so many of us are receiving a fabricated love, it's not authentic, it's not real, it's not pure, it never really satisfies. There's only one love that satisfies, and there's only one love that can win a heart over and change it from the inside out, and it's the love that Jesus demonstrated for you and for me to lay his life down so we might follow that kind of love. So that we might give our life to that kind of demonstration. So we can stop settling and start receiving the unconditional love that Jesus came to display for you and I. I love that we're in the Jesus Way series in the Gospel of Mark. Because it's looking at just that right there on who Jesus is and what his ways are to us. And where I'm going today to give you some context is we'll be in Mark chapter 5, but before I jump into it, you need to understand what's going on. Jesus had called his disciples by this point. They would have witnessed miracles. They would have witnessed a demon possession being casted out. They would have witnessed healings. They would have witnessed Jesus preaching and people saying, this dude has authority and power. He's different. He's a different kind of teacher. They would have witnessed all this. And then Jesus takes his disciples on a journey when he says, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. But on the way to the other side and following Jesus, it's not always rosy. It's not always perfect. A storm hits them. Pastor Greg talked about this a couple uh, uh, Sundays ago. A storm hits them. They start freaking out. And then Jesus says this, where's your faith? Jesus calms the wind and the waves. In other words, Jesus demonstrates his way and that he has authority and power over nature. And then not only does he demonstrate it, but he draws the disciples in closer to him saying, why don't you trust me? Where's your trust? And then after the whole trust conversation, Jesus leads them to the other side. And when they get to the other side, their worst nightmare shows up when the demoniac man in Mark chapter 5 comes running at them naked, screaming, cursing, all these kinds of things. The disciples are like, I thought we were going to the other side to get rest. But the other side meant tormented man coming charging at us. Jesus looks at that man, speaks to him in a way that he's never been spoken to before, but sees his truest identity as not possessed by demons, but as a child of God. Casts out all the demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Now becomes the first evangelist to the Decapolis area. The disciples get back in the boat because the people were afraid of Jesus. And then it says this, Jesus gets in the boat and goes back to the other side. All of that has happened within less than 24 hours. Can you imagine the boat ride with the disciples on the boat? Oh, my word, Jesus. Did you see those pigs? Those pigs are all in the water. That's where we fish, Jesus. There's going to be pigs floating up everywhere. Thanks for the problem. And Jesus is like, do you still not get it? This man was demon-possessed. He needed the Savior. And I came to demonstrate my authority over sin, over evil, and over the demonic. It has nothing on me. This is who I am. It's the Jesus way. And then imagine the very fun boat ride back, but on the boat ride back to the other side, woo, woo, woo. this is when it gets really good. Jesus has a crowd waiting for him. He's famous. He's a celebrity. People know him for his miracle works. They know him for who he is as a healer. Yet something unique happens the uniqueness isn't the crowd But the uniqueness is what emerges from the crowd when Jesus has arrived in Mark chapter 5 verse 21 and Here we're going to look at what real love looks like The real kind of biblical love that can exist inside of you and the real kind of biblical love that exists inside of Jesus in Mark chapter 5 21 when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake A large crowd gathered around him, not surprised there. They would have seen him cross the other side of the lake. They knew where Jesus went. They went to a Gentile area. Jews don't mix with Gentiles. So they saw him come back and then 22. Then, this is when it gets really good. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus is moved by his faith. He's moved by his uh, his desperation. And then as they're on the journey, another woman comes up and pursues Christ in a different way. A woman with a blood issue. In verse 27, when she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If you want to know what real love looks like within you and I and then Jesus is this number one is real love pursues real love pursues and in the midst of the crowd there's a desperation that kind of attracts Jesus's heart it's a desperation that looks different here's what I love about this story is you have emerging in this text right now you have two different kinds of people don't miss this you have Jairus, who's a dad, a father. If you're a father in the room and your 12 year old daughter's dying, how many of you know you start to get desperate doing whatever you need to do to see your daughter live and see your daughter heal? This man's on his last legs. He's a synagogue leader. Why does that matter? Because a synagogue leader meant this he was very well respected within the society. He would have been an overseer of the temple. He wouldn't have been a rabbi. He wouldn't have been a teacher from the scrolls. But he would have maintained the synagogue, kept it orderly, would have gotten the scrolls out and the scribes out. He was an overseer, probably elected by people. And here's the kicker. You want to know who his good friends would have really been? His good friends would have been the Pharisees. His good friend would have been the Pharisees. And what did the Pharisees want to do with Jesus? They wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus was messing with their system. Jesus was messing with everything they were trying to accomplish and do. So Jairus would have been a really good friend with the Pharisees. And so here you have one man with desperation wanting his daughter to be healed, a synagogue leader, probably wealthy or or well-off, well-established. And then the very next scene you see and the next person introduced is a woman who's had a blood issue for 12 years. And if you know anything about context of Jewish culture, if you have a blood issue, you are labeled unclean, which means this, you can't be with your family. If you were to touch your husband, your husband would be unclean. If you were to touch your children, your children would be unclean. You were an outcast. Oftentimes, living away from everybody else, you couldn't go to church because you were unclean, ceremonially unclean. So the narrative over this woman's life for the last 12 years has how, is how she's been unclean and unclean and unclean. And these two, desperate and authentic love, and it shows this, it pursues. It pursues. In the middle of the crowd, what gets Jesus' attention Is a man who has to ignore what his Pharisee friends might think and run past that and get to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? You want to know what 12 years old is significant for? A 12-year-old girl would have been transitioning to womanhood and getting ready for marriage. It was one of the most expectant, excited times of a 12-year-old girl's life because it meant she could be married. And over her excitement and over her passion, she probably won't make it. She probably won't even have a chance to get married or enter into a marriage covenant. This girl's dying and her dad's doing something about it. He has a pursuit, a reckless pursuit, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and it catches the eye of Jesus. Here's why. Because Jesus knows who his best friends are. And he knows that he probably rejected their opinions to get to the spot where he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. As if to say, God, I'm going to pursue you and I don't care who else knows about it. Jesus says this, that you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. James says that when you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. My question to you today is what are you pursuing? And what are you pursuing with all of your heart? Jesus wasn't looking for divided hearts. The difference between this person and all the other people surrounded Jesus is Jairus had a single-minded heart. It was all on Jesus. Whatever it took to get to the feet of Jesus, it's what he wanted to do. It was a single-minded pursuit. Yet so many of us in the room today have our hearts drifting left and drifting right. Oh, I got this to take care of. Oh, I got this to take care of. And it's like what gets left to the wayside is Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, I keep pursuing you. And you want to know what gets my heart is when you just want to pursue me too. You just want to pursue me too. Real love, it pursues. Real love pursues. Not only does real love pursue, but point number two is real love, it believes. Love believes. It has a faith. And scripture says without faith, without belief, it's impossible to please God. So there's an element here of faith. And by the way, the faith of these two in this story is crazy because here's why. These two people, they have not seen Jesus go to a cross and die for sins. These people have not witnessed the resurrection. So to to validate and verify the Messiah who Jesus is, they hadn't seen any of this. It takes real faith to not see a resurrection and still believe that he can do a miracle. It takes real faith to believe even when you don't see. It takes real faith to believe even when your friends are calling Jesus an idiot, a scumbag, a child of the devil, a nobody, a screw up. It takes real faith to press through even when no one goes with you. It takes real faith when your family abandons you, leaves you to the wayside, yet you still cling and hold on to Jesus. This was the kind of faith that moves the heart of God, the kind of faith that chooses time and time again. For Jairus to get to the spot to be at the feet of Jesus, can you imagine the Pharisees that would have been in attendance and watched Jairus throw him there? Oh my word, did you see that? That's Jairus. That's Jairus. That's our synagogue leader. He's begging for mercy from Jesus. What is he doing? We're done being friends with him. He wants to ride with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. We're done with that guy. Yeah, he can go fend for himself. In fact, hey, Jairus, by the way, when you get back, you don't have a job anymore. Go find a different one. Do you understand the amount of faith it took for Jairus to get himself to the feet of Jesus? To believe that, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this religious system. This religious system I've been bowing my life to. This religious system I've been giving my heart to, to oversee the synagogue. It doesn't compare to who Jesus is. It doesn't compare to the person of Jesus. All I need to do is get to Jesus. If my daughter wants to live, all I need to do is get Jesus to come. I need Jesus to show up. Where is that kind of faith inside of you, inside of me? What if we stopped going to people that can't solve solutions for us? What if we stopped being religious and just started focusing on Jesus? What if we wanted Jesus to show up into our situation? What if we just wanted Jesus to come and touch us and touch our hearts and touch our lives? Jairus got to the point where he was sick of everything else that had to offer and say, I don't care, I'm still going to believe, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's got to come touch my daughter. Do you imagine, can you imagine what it was like for the woman who has the blood issue? Do you realize there's a crowd surrounding around Jesus? What does that mean? It means this, for this woman to go and touch Jesus, her belief was this, if I could just touch the cloak of Jesus or the garment, I know I will be healed. She believed in Jesus so much that I don't need him to pray for me. I don't need him to touch me. I just need to touch him. I just need to get my hands on Jesus, even if it's just his cloak and its robe. Here was the journey for this woman, though. For 12 years, she's been in bondage. For 12 years, she's been isolated. And you want to know what would happen if an unclean person would touch another person in public? They would often yell, unclean! Here's what it meant for this woman to get to Jesus. And meant she would have to crawl through people, touch people after person after person, and possibly being discovered and people yelling in a crowd, unclean, unclean! Yet this woman's desire and faith in Jesus ran way deeper than man's opinion of her. She was sick and tired of being in the condition that she was. She spent all the money she had on medical care, and doctors couldn't save her, medicine couldn't save her, theories couldn't save her. She desperately needed Jesus, and she risked herself to get through other people shaming her and accusing her by touching them just to go and touch Jesus you know what it makes me think about it makes me think about the real biblical faith let me ask you a question what would happen if you never saw what you believed for would you still believe what would happen if you never saw the healing that you prayed for would you still believe how many people in Hebrews chapter 11 counted them as righteous for their faith, yet they didn't see it take place, what they were looking for, yet they still believed? That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of belief that's rooted in a love that runs really deep. Even if I don't see it, I'm going to believe. in this woman with a real faith, It reminds me a lot of our persecuted brothers and sisters who are living in Iraq, in Iran, in Egypt, in places all over the country. Because a real faith for them means this. I don't know if I'll wake up tomorrow because my dad might send a hitman to slice my head. Why? Because they believe Jesus. You and I are sitting in a very comfortable room. Our church is going to be remodeled. It's very nice. It's cozy. Yet, do you realize... There are little boys and little girls being hung, being killed because their mom and dad decided to believe in Jesus. That right there is a real kind of belief that's matched with a gyrus and matched with a woman with a blood issue for 12 years. Past losing friends, worth it all. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture. Desperation in your heart will always catch the eyes of Jesus. Desperation in your heart will always catch the ear of Jesus. God cannot despise a broken and contrite heart. God cannot despise those who are broken and in need of a touch for him. My question for you is this, is will you believe and will you reach for a touch time and time again? Just look into his eyes. Just look at his face. Keep your eyes on him. Watch what he does. You see, real love pursues, real love believes, and then real love, this is my favorite point, it's personal. (laughs) This is so good. This is when it gets really good. Real love, it's personal. This woman may have touched all these people just to go and touch Jesus because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. This is what's powerful. Right when the woman reaches out, right when she touches his cloak, immediately, boom, done, she's healed. All her blood disorder, the blood issues she was fighting through, the minute she reaches out, boom, done, healed. Mark says, immediately. It becomes personal for this woman right here in this moment. This is when it gets really good, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. In other words, it wasn't just personal for the woman, it was personal for Jesus too. Jesus felt when power went out. It was personal for Jesus. Every time Jesus healed, he felt it. Every time Jesus was whipped, he felt it. Every time Jesus was spit upon, he felt it. Every time a nail went through his hand, he felt it. When he was on a cross, he felt it. When a crown of thorns went on his head, he felt it. When Jesus was beaten, he felt it. Why? It was personal, and it was personal for you personal he felt the power go out and then this is what I love how Jesus does this he says in verse 31 in verse 30 when Jesus realized that the power went out he turned around in the crowd and said who touched my clothes who touched me who touched my clothes and the disciples respond how you and I would ah Jesus you know there's a crowd here right Like everybody's touching you, everybody's around you. And he says, no, who touched me? And he looks around. Here's the deal. Jesus did not ask this question for his own personal revelation. Jesus asked this question because he wanted to get really real and really personal for a woman who's had identity issues for 12 years. Do you understand something? This woman received her miracle, which means this. She reached for his robe, touched it. She could have scurried back out and gone away, whole healed, and never saw Jesus for another day because she got her miracle. Jesus didn't want just a physical body healed. Jesus wanted the heart with the woman who had identity issues to be restored as a child of God, as one of his prized possessions. Jesus wanted the heart of this woman, not just her blood issue healed. This is so powerful. Don't miss this. Do you understand? This woman for 12 years being ridiculed and always playing over in her mind unclean, unclean. Can't see my kids tonight. Can't see my husband. I'm in a community with a bunch of people that are unclean. You know what the narrative in her mind was for 12 years? Unclean, poor, no money, outcast, reject. She got her healing, but Jesus says, who touched me? This woman had a decision to make, probably introverted. Maybe for you, when a crowd of people are around, the last thing you want to do is have Jesus call you out in the middle of a crowd. This is really, really powerful. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And verse 33, then the women knowing what had happened to her came, this is so good, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told Jesus the whole truth. Here's where Jesus led this woman. Jesus knew the physical healing wasn't enough because you can be physically healed, yet still wrestle with mental issues and emotional issues and family issues. Your body can be physically whole, but you can still be lost in your heart. Jesus didn't want her to be lost anymore. He wanted her to be found. This woman gets the guts. Halfway there, halfway here. Oh, I should go. I should just pull. I got my healing. But no, he touched me. I need to tell him the truth. She goes and she gets on her knees before Jesus. And she begins telling him the truth. Jesus, I'm an outcast. Jesus, I'm unclean. I've been this way for 12 years. I can't see my family. I can't go to the synagogue to worship. But Jesus, I pursued you today because I believe with all my heart that you could heal my body where the doctors said they couldn't heal me. Jesus, I'm throwing out myself at your feet because it's all I got left. You're all I want, God. Woo! Do you understand? Salvation comes to those who are willing to confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus died and rose again. This woman never saw a death of Jesus and she never saw a resurrection. This woman demonstrated faith way before she could ever put her faith in seeing a risen risen Savior. He wanted her heart. And there's people in the room today that have physical issues. But Jesus wants your heart time and time again. And oh, by the way, he can heal your physical issues too. This is so dope. Don't miss this. This is so powerful. Listen to the very word after this woman spills her guts, after she shares the truth. Listen to the very first word out of Jesus' mouth. He said to her, daughter, daughter. Daughter, oh, you guys gotta understand this. I'm a wreck up here because this is powerful. Don't miss this. The only time in the New Testament where Jesus calls a woman daughter is a woman who's been an outcast for 12 years. He restores her within one moment when his first words out of his mouth is, You're my daughter, you're mine, baby. You're mine. I saw you, and I knew you touched me, but I was waiting to see if you'd be honest enough to share your whole story with me. And not just your story, but, hon, you're my daughter forever. Within one moment, a lady with identity issues gets fully restored and receives a savior for the first time. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in. Oh, it's personal It's personal It's personal It's personal right where you are Right now The question is this Is will you be honest enough And have a heart to pursue And believe even when others are Discounting you, coming at you Trying to derail you, trying to Pull you away Or Worse yet, letting your heart be divided among all these different things. He wants you to love him with all of your heart. (sighs) There are people in the room today where you need to be restored emotionally. You need to be restored physically. You need to be restored spiritually and mentally. You've been through the ringer. You've been through the mess. You can relate with the poor woman who desperately needed a Savior to meet her and touch her body, but touch her mind. Emotional and mental and all these healings start to happen when you recognize who you are in Christ, that you are a prized daughter and a prized son of his. And by the way, you never earned the right to be his child. He gave you the right to become his child. He gave you the right to become his child, which means this. When someone comes messing with you mentally or you start getting in your head emotionally, you say, no, I'm his. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter. I've been bought. I've been purchased. He's touched me. It's personal for me. It's personal. Love pursues. Love believes in love. It's personal. He feels it. He feels it. My last point today is love, it conquers death. It conquers death. Jesus heals this woman, Jairus. Remember Jairus? He's on the journey, right? And then this interruption happens. This woman comes and throws herself. Jairus has got to be thinking, yo, Jesus, you said you come heal my daughter, but you stop for a woman. Yeah, because Jesus stops when it's personal. Stops for this woman and then all of a sudden Jairus gets news from family members. Jairus, your daughter, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster of Jairus? He threw himself down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said he was going to come with him. And now on the way to go heal his daughter, it's too late. His daughter dies because he stopped for somebody else. Isn't this true of you and I's life? We ask for something and we don't see it. We ask for something, yet the worst happens. We're on the journey of following Jesus, yet it doesn't go the way we thought it would go. And here's your big so what if you're taking notes. Not only does love pursue, believe, and it's personal, but if Jesus could give us a big so what, he would say this. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe believe. I love how when Jesus was still speaking, people came from the house of Jairus and they said his daughter is dead. As Jesus is speaking, picture this, Jesus is speaking to people. As he's speaking in his right ear, he's hearing in the background noise that this dude Jairus who threw himself at the feet, his daughter just died. And overhearing it, Jesus looks at Jairus, stops talking to everybody else. Jairus, look at me. Put your eyes on me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep your faith in me. Keep your eyes on me. Jairus, you don't have to be afraid. I said I'd hear your daughter. Whew. Jesus not only demonstrates his authority over disease, but right now he's about to demonstrate his authority over death. Jesus says not to be afraid. When they show up to the house, everybody's crying and wailing loudly, which is normal. Why all this commotion and wailing, Jesus says. The child's not dead. The child's asleep. Everybody starts mocking him. Everybody starts laughing at him. Jesus takes his three disciples and the mom and dad in the room with the daughter. The dad probably crying uncontrollably now because he's seeing his daughter dead. Yet he's supposed to not be afraid. Yet he's supposed to just believe the tensions he's experiencing on the journey with Jesus. Jesus doing what Jesus does. He took her by the hand and said to her, whom, little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Y'all, love conquers death. (laughs) Conquers death. The dead things in our life, the dead things we so easily choose, it's already been conquered, it's already been dealt with, it's already been done. What a beautiful story! Mark 4 5, wind dying down, the disciples watching the demoniac set free, and now the disciples witnessing. A blood issue, a woman restored, called daughter, given the right to be a child of God, faith moving the heart of Jesus. And now you see Jesus kick in and do something no man could ever do, but resurrect someone from the dead. All because his love does it. His love raises you and I from the dead. His love resurrected his son Jesus so he wouldn't stay in the grave any longer three days after Jesus died he resurrected from the dead because his heavenly father so loved you that he gave his son to go die and be resurrected so that whoever believes in Jesus would not die but would have everlasting life Zoe abundant life I want everyone to bow their head, close their eyes Such a powerful story, now we got to respond. Jesus is going to heal people in this room. He's going to heal bodies. He's going to heal minds. He's going to heal hearts. But the first question I want to ask is, did you come in here today needing to encounter Jesus because you don't know him or you've been far from him, and you just need him to touch your life? And call you a daughter again or a son again. If you're here and you're saying, I need a touch from Jesus. I need to follow him. I just want you to put up your hand wherever you are. No looking around. Say, hey, dope, cool, love it. Awesome. Hands everywhere. Praise God. Jesus sees your confession through your hand. He sees your response through your heart. He looks at the heart of every single hand up. He knows where you've been, where you walked through. He knows who's left you, who's abandoned you, who knows what you've gone through, yet he still chooses you over and over. He says, I'm pursuing you. I'm drawing near to you. I love you. Take my hand. Take my hand. Let me lead you. Follow me. It's about eight hands that went up saying, Jesus, I, I need that. I want everyone to repeat with me Pray with me Everyone together just say Jesus I receive Your love For me Thank you for pursuing me Thank you for believing in me Thank you for making it personal Right now And thank you That the death That so easily entangles Has to come off my life Right now, I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just keep your eyes closed. I saw as I was praying last night, someone in here has a neck issue, like the back of your neck or back of your head. And I don't know if it's headaches. I don't know if it's pain. or It's like constant, though. It's in your neck or in your back. Also, a right ear. I thought I saw a man who has a right ear issues where you can't hear. Also, a, a right toe or a foot, something wrong with your foot or your toe. This is really random, but a, a speech impediment. Someone who has a speech impediment. And then also I saw a chest area. You have pain in your chest. I don't know if it's it's heart related or if it's lungs. I don't know what it's related to. But I saw the center of a chest. I just want to take time to pray for those who need healing in the room. I want everyone to look up here. This past summer, you can't tell me God doesn't heal people when time and time again I saw healing after healing after healing after healing after healing. I saw a girl with chronic back pain, sharp back pain. She could barely run over. For three years she's had this in her life. Within one moment her back pain was completely gone. The pinched nerves that were in her back were dealt with and healed. She looked at me and she goes, this is freaky. This is really freaky. She kept saying, this is, so, this is so weird. I've never been able to do this before. This is freaky. And I just kept just saying, look, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. Like, he's healed, he's healed you. I've watched people with insomnia, can't sleep at night, healed in Jesus' name. I watched a boy. Who didn't know he could ask Jesus to heal his body he couldn't play sports at the FCA camp because his knee was dislocated he said Jesus would you touch my knee he felt his knee shift he had no more pain in his knee went out and played sports the next day he was sidelined the whole camp before that I've watched Jesus heal time and time again if everybody could stand with me I believe Jesus wants to demonstrate his power his healing and his love if the prayer team could come down that would be awesome I'm gonna have my wife lead Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Some of you need to get back to a place of pursuing single heart, not divided, like Jairus or like a woman who say, "God, I need you." In fact, here's my challenge for you. It's my last challenge and point of the day. My challenge is this: is find a way to get on your knees and get honest before Jesus. Get on your knees. And get honest before Jesus. God is waiting for honesty, but he's waiting to see where he can have all of you. And by the way, you can get on your knees and get honest wherever and however, but he's there waiting. It's my challenge for you this week.